Hey everybody, welcome back to Shadow Particles, a His Dark Materials companion podcast. I'm Evan Minto, and with me today is returning guest Jeff Ruberg, definitely Jeff on Twitter. Welcome back, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to uh, talk more about demons. Oh yeah, the Demon Corner is, of <laughs> course, uh, is my my segment that will be uh, <laughs> near the end of the show today. Uh, and we're we're talking about episode six of season two of His Dark Materials, a kind of kind of we'll talk about this kind of a setup episode leading into the the final episode of this season. But before I get into any of this other stuff, I, uh, I do want to just mention the big news that came out like yesterday or two days ago. We are getting season three of His Dark Materials. I was so worried that the show was not going to get greenlit for season three, even though I think it was probably likely. But I was just like freaking myself out, worrying <laughs> about not getting that third season. Well, you know, I thought this was a, a show only zone, no book spoilers, but you just spoiled that there is a book three. Wow. Disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> No, oh, no, breaking breaking my extreme non-spoiler policy of just not even spoiling whether there's more story. <laughs> no, I'm excited for this. I, w- I was worried because uh, like it seems like the only people I see talking about this show are fans of the book. So I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I hope I hope it's been successful. But uh, right, right. Yeah. Glad to pass that bar. Got to season three. Book three is my favorite of the books. I think it's a lot of people's favorites. It is really like it's interesting i think season two has been i've been enjoying season two more than season one which is different from my opinion of book two versus book one uh but book three is better than both of them so i'm really hoping that it kind of continues that upward trajectory (laughs) nice nice uh, before we get into the episode discussion, house rules, no show spoilers, as Jeff just referred to. So you're safe if you haven't read the books. And we're recapping the U.S. release on HBO, not the U.K. one. The U.K. one is done. They already aired episode seven over there. Yeah, which I find especially My, confusing this season. Like, I think last season it was one day off and the yep, season it's now eight it's days like off. Eight days. And, yeah. Not great. Sort of like watching anime with like, you know, in, back in the day when you had to wait forever <laughs> to get stuff coming out in the U.S., my three uh, regular intro questions for my guests. First, uh, you answered this one before, but what's your familiarity with his dark materials? Yeah, so I never read the books. I always, especially when I was a kid myself, heard positive things about them, but never got around to them. And then as an adult, wanted to get around to them someday, but always was kind of like, I mean, they're kids' books, so they're not going to be that entertaining. So I put off uh, too long. Uh. I know, I know, it's a bad <laughs> Bad, I, uh, I get it. Yeah, to have, yeah. But I definitely, once the show started and there was hype for the show and it was kind of like, is this the next Game of Thrones successor? I started to look at it a lot more closely and uh, especially hearing, like basically everyone whose opinion I respect is a book fan. So <laughs> um, I was like, you know, there's definitely something here and I'll, I'm really curious to to watch the show and follow along. Um, so yeah, it's still pretty unspoiled from the books. I was tempted to go back and read the books between seasons, but then I was like, you know, it, it's kind of fun experiencing the story through the TV show for the first time since so many other fans of the content already can't do that. So I was like, you know, right. I'll keep myself pure. Yeah, yeah. I, I have at least one friend, actually, uh, David Estrella, who was mm. on the uh, last episode of season one, who did go back and start reading the books. I think he's currently reading The Subtle Knife. Second question, what did you think of season one overall? We obviously talked about and like one episode of it, but uh, kind of the whole thing. Yeah, I went back and re-listened to that episode to remind myself like what I had said so I didn't, what didn't just repeat everything. But it was weird since that was episode three and it was like so fresh, like this, this 
story was barely barely getting started kind of and mm -hmm. um it's interesting comparing to like the stuff back then i was like oh i'm kind of bored by this like slowly moving plot and stuff and by the end of it i can definitely see that like, that was just the beginning of it and i definitely appreciate where the story's gone in season two a lot more mm -hmm. season one i feel like overall i was a little bit unimpressed like i was like okay, there's tons of potential to this world. There are lots of cool elements, but like kind of everything that season one focused on, I was not that into like the the whole like chasing the, I forget the name of it, the people that were kidnapping children. The gobblers. Yeah, the gobblers yeah. and uh, the Egyptians and even the bears. I was like, these were a cool concept, but I remember uh, in, in our group watch, everyone was disappointed by how the bears were handled with the the wearing armor versus not wearing armor. Mm -hmm. It was kind of awkward in the show. So like, and it, but I mean, this, the finale was kind of cool, but overall it was kind of like, you know, this was this was pretty good, but not amazing. But I, I think season two has definitely kicked into gear all the things that I found really compelling about the first season. So that's that's I think the general opinion I've heard. And, and this is where I land on it is that this is what they wanted to tell. Like season <laughs> like book two and book three are are this kind of stuff, right? Like like multi-universe adventure kind of high concept hybrid sci-fi fantasy stuff uh and it really felt like season one they were just like all right all right let's just get to that that's what we want to do <laughs> yeah it's like season one is i guess kind of call it fan like it seems it feels very like simple is maybe an unfair word but it's like singular concept and then mm -hmm. it's like okay now season two it's like introduce all the concepts and yeah yeah and there's more where that came from very excited <laughs> for for what else we're gonna get and what's your demon so so i remember last time i was like oh i'm just a baby i just got informed of demons so like i'm still uh figuring or like i'm my demon's still not formed yet and uh, i don't know i still have i still don't have a great answer but i did a quiz online and it told me i was a lynx so <laughs> okay that's you know Interesting. i like cats and i still am i still unsure how i feel about like like i know that the demons aren't supposed to be direct analogs to a character's nature like like if you're evil, then you have an evil looking animal. But most of the time, if you're evil, you have an evil looking animal. So I don't know. I still am a little bit conflicted on the concept of demons. Yeah, they're yeah. They're, I mean, they're the person's nature, but they're not not necessarily the they, they're, they can't only be read in like a really classical way. Like a snake doesn't mean that they're evil by definition. Right. There's there's two characters with snake demons and one of them's a good guy. One of them's a bad guy. One thing that's interesting about the demons to me is since I um also host a podcast about digimon uh is is how mm. much the concept of digimon is just demons like <laughs> <laughs> oh because they like match their their personality or something Well, because i mean for people who aren't who didn't grow up with digimon it's basically pokemon but if the pokemon were demons if that makes sense like you only have one partner mm. and you like they basically are a reflection of your personality but not not exactly not not as directly as in his dark materials but uh yeah apparently the like showrunner of the first season of digimon like hadn't read his dark materials before the show and then afterwards read it and was like oh oops like <laughs> oh no way yeah i didn't know there was a direct connection where like the creator had actually read it well afterwards and then but yeah, yeah 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 but read it and then kind of made that comparison after the fact that's yeah that's what i've heard but it's hard to find interviews but yeah mm -hmm. all right with that let's get into episode six malice which i was told was actually probably pulled from a line from the prequel book la belle sauvage in which a character refers to mrs coulter's monkey demon and says if the, that demon had a name it would be malice Ooh. kind of an interesting pull 
So the summary, the witches see angels flying in the skies of uh, the world of Chittagatsi at the beginning of the episode, and Ruta Scotty follows them uh, seemingly to join Azriel's war. Uh, she says that the angels are going to war. Uh, the, she says the last time that the angels were like seen flying, they were they were going to war. Uh, the children of Chittagatsi chase down Lyra and Will to kill them. After they, uh, after Will taking the knife caused Tulio to be attacked by the specters, but Serafina and the witches swoop in to save them, and then they head up into the hills where the witches attempt to heal the now very infected <laughs> wound on Will's hand. Mary is in Chittagatsi and she meets the the children there. She also seems to be protected from the specters by what looks like an angel. We get this interesting brief glimpse of some angel-looking thing behind her. Lord Boreal, also everybody's in this Chittagatsi world now. So Lord Boreal takes Mrs. Coulter to Chittagatsi and shows her the specters, which he is terrified of, but she proceeds to, in very terrifying fashion, control. We'll definitely talk about that scene. Then she poisons and kills Boreal, which leaves her free to pursue Lyra. Back in the Magisterium, Fra Pavel tells Father McPhail what he, or Cardinal McPhail, what he discovered from the alethiometer which is this other name for Lyra that we keep hearing about. He doesn't say it, but he says everything but the name. And she is, uh, I'm going to say the name because it's pretty obvious. <laughs> She's Eve from Story of Genesis. That A new Eve is what they say, right? She'll, she'll be a kind of new Eve. So then McPhail sets a plan into action to sacrifice Lyra. We don't quite know what this means yet. Sounds like they're going to kill her. Lee and Grumman pass through to the world of Chittagatsi uh, through Azrael's window with three Magisterium airships in pursuit. Grumman uses a bunch of magic to take two of them down, but right at the end of the episode, their balloon gets shot down and then roll credits. So what are your overall thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, this in some ways is kind of just like a bridging episode to the to the finale episode, but uh, mm -hmm. in other ways, like has some huge twists like uh, Mrs. Coulter killing Lord Boreal. Uh, right, right. It's a little like, oh, I've been following him for two seasons, and now he's... I want to say that it felt a little unceremonious, but like, on the other hand, her facing down the specters was like, had so much dramatic tension. And oh my god, it's so good. <laughs> it's one of the best scenes so far. Just like, just, she is, like, she commands that scene so well. <laughs> I love the, uh, I don't know, like the sound elements they use for, for the mm -hmm. specters' movement, and it just like, you can feel like slowing down as... She's just like staring them down like, oh, mm. it, was, it was great. There's also there's so much kind of biblical stuff, right? Like because there's the bit where it's like her touching her finger, reaching out to the specter, which looks oh. very similar to God touching Adam. Mm. Also E.T. But that's true. Yeah, maybe it was an E.T. <laughs> reference. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've heard that in the world of his materials, the church doesn't have Jesus. So, you know, maybe they have E.T. instead. Never know. Uh, well, they do have Jesus. Oh, okay. Uh, that's maybe a spoiler. La Belle Sauvage establishes that Jesus exists in and is part of the, the church's theology. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, also the other thing that sent a chill down my spine was when, uh, I guess it's when Boreal is explaining the concept of specters to, to Mrs. Mm -hmm. Coulter. And oh, she yeah. just like, <laughs> is like, we could learn from this. And I was like, oh my God, like. I guess it yeah. becomes clear by the end of the episode that she's going to like command and use the specters. But even before I thought that was possible, her just like mm -hmm. talking about using them as a uh, as a force for who even knows what. I was like, oh god, she's 
Well, it's it's tied into the stuff she was doing in the first season, right? Because he says it's like he says something like it's like they sever them, mm-hmm. right? Referring to the severing of demons that she was running in Bolvangar in, in season one. And so to her, right, she she mentioned last episode that there's some kind of connection to dust with them. Right. And so she she sees it as like, oh, this is part of the same thing. Right. Like like I can I, I can do evil science with this. I can discover what's really going on here and maybe sacrifice some children along the way. Who knows? Not just science, but evil science. Yeah. <laughs> the best kind. There's also a bit where Grumman mentions there's kind of like little bits of things about the specters in this episode that we learn grumman mentions that the specters feed on dust which is the first we've heard of that mm-hmm. i guess it kind of seemed obvious to me there was some connection to dust with how they only mm-hmm. target adults right um and something that i haven't heard anyone else talking about that i think is really interesting is like the first time we saw this uh Chitagase world i was like okay so they've gone from one uh i guess maybe it's unfair to call his dark materials ya but like one YA fantasy world where like you have this concept of growing up and you're demon forming or solidifying as an adult to a different mm. YA fantasy world where like I in this world, once you become an adult, you get haunted by specters. And it's like, I thought that was kind of cool to like, like hop between different like worlds about growing up and reaching adulthood being a metaphor for. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, no, I'm glad that's coming yeah. through. Glad that's coming through because that is uh, that is the theme. Like that's one of the one of the themes that runs through the whole story. And it's that like Pullman is expressing these ideas through different worlds mm-hmm. and and it kind of just continues in that way. Right. Like and, and not just that theme of growing up, but like lots of the themes, these themes of like control and oppression, where every time you get a new world, you kind of get like, all right, here is how these themes are expressed in this world. Right. Like here's here's the conflict that drives this world. Mm. I do find it a little bit. One of the tensions in this season that I find a little bit awkward is the like the grandness of scale that we have now that we're like hopping between multiple different universes and there are angels that are that are also dust and shadow particles. First of all, I'm glad this season now I understand the title of the podcast. Um, That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I never thought about it before. And I was like, I thought it was just like a cool phrase, but I was like, oh, okay, that's what that is. Okay. Um, Yep. Yep. I had somebody else mention that too. (laughs) Um, But like we have this grand scale thing now. And for a while, like after, um, after Lyra and Asriel had left the um, Lyra's world. And I was kind of like, why are we still focusing on Lyra's world? Like who is even, I mean, I guess Mm -hmm. Mrs. Coulter was still left there, but I was like, why do we still care about this world? And it seems like even now, as things have gotten grander and bigger, we still care a lot about what the Magisterium is doing. And at this point, I don't really understand why the Magisterium is this like huge existential threat to the entire multiverse when it seems like, I mean, they're a bad organization, but they, I mean, they seem confined to one world. I guess they have ambitions to kill Lyra and everything. So that is more threatening. But I, I find the, uh, I kind of thought that like the Magisterium was set up as like, the bad guys of season one and they were going to grow mm-hmm. beyond that so i'm a little bit like confused about like then pulling back down to like no it's still the magisterium and they're still the final bad guys but i guess i will yeah i i agree actually and i think there's a lot of issues like this that result from slight changes they're like larger consequences of slighter changes in the focus of the season compared to the book where like the magisterium is in the book, but is not presented in the same way, you know, mm. as like the central antagonist. And so it's less of an issue. But here they are, you know, I think combining elements of like all of the books, you know, because they know they know where the whole thing's going. And so there's like 
uh there's there's some things about that that do feel a little strange i won't spoil kind of like where that's going i i will say there is like stuff in there's like big magisterium stuff in the future that will definitely be happening uh but yeah i i i agree it's a little it's a little off there's there's also something a little off about like that we've haven't seen that many other worlds yet right we've mostly just seen chitagasi like that world mm-hmm. and if it feels like there's probably there, there should be more <laughs> out there that we should be seeing right and not to draw everything to digimon but um this is a thing that happened in one season of digimon where they were like so we have two two primary worlds there's like the human world and the digital world and they're like, and they're infinite other worlds. And to illustrate mm. that concept, they introduce a third and never go down the <laughs> right, third. Right, right. And they're like, infinite other worlds, here are three. And um, I kind of hope that... At a certain point, you have to stay somewhat confined or else yeah. you, your story breaks down, right? But yeah, I know what you mean. Um, but I, yeah, because it's, I'm trying not to judge prematurely because I know there's so much more to the story. And I'm sure the Magisterium is going to, it feels clear they're going to be a huge threat, but I don't see exactly why the characters at this point think they are. Like when... um uh Jopperi is talking about like Azrael's war against Magisterium and I'm kind of like oh is that the grander plan like I kind of thought the Magisterium was like chump change now but okay I guess that well, is where we're headed yeah I, I would maybe just note that I, I don't think he said that the war is against the Magisterium oh. he said there is always a struggle between these two sides right okay <laughs> yeah that's that's what that's what I'll leave you with on that <laughs> point <laughs> And I mean, there, there, are, there are other antagonists here, right? They're not like exactly something sentient, but I mean, the specters represent like their own kind of antagonistic force, right? A more like kind of animalistic one because we don't mm. really understand what their goals are, right? They're, they just seem to attack. Um, but that is like a new threat of some sort, mm-hmm. a, like a disorganized threat, a kind of environmental threat, right? Yeah, yeah. Looping back to, to uh, Mrs. Coulter a little bit, um, on, I forget which episode, maybe it was the last episode, um, you were talking about, oh yeah, the scene where she leaves the golden monkey behind mm-hmm. and, and then like hints to Lord Boyle that like, well, you've seen witches, right? Like why is what I do so weird? And my interpretation mm-hmm. of that scene when I watched it was like, maybe she actually did train with witches and got some of that training. So I was kind of surprised to hear your take on it that like, she just has enough iron will and like, you know, puts those things that make her humanity, puts them aside and then is able to leave the golden monkey behind. But now seeing this scene, I'm like, okay, that's definitely what she's doing. Like, that's uh, right. Like seeing her. It's also interesting because like everything we've seen about the Spectre so far has been very rooted in like mechanics of the world. Like, okay, it's based on dust or like you can kind of see like once you turn this age, it's like a surefire thing. It's never been presented as like something that you could just push yourself through. And like, so mm-hmm. seeing her do that was so uh, like powerful and terrifying because it felt so she's like breaking the rules of the universe kind of. Yeah, and she's kind of she's like inhuman, right? She's yeah. leaving behind this thing that makes her human, like her soul. She's like putting him in a trance, basically, right? And just being like, "Okay, I am going to make myself not palatable to the specters <laughs> by suppressing this part of myself," right? Yeah, and uh, yeah, I loved it. That's a great. Like, I kind of saw it coming from the previous episode because I I knew that the controlling the specters bit was coming based on the book. Uh, but like you don't get quite the same explanation it's a slightly different explanation actually in the book and i thought this is actually a better explanation like that Mm. has more setup it's more fleshed out so that like when it comes it's not like oh she just can magically control the specters you've seen her use like a smaller version of that power before Mm -hmm. yeah i've heard a little bit about how that's handled in the book and it sounds like a lot more like black and white morality kind of like Mm -hmm. they just like are sent they sense her evilness and then they're like cool evil we agree (laughs) right right 
Yeah, but this, this works great. Like it, it really does feel plausible that she would be able to do it based on what she did last episode. Yeah, and uh, I really love the idea that like she's breaking the both with the demons and with the specters. She's like breaking the rules of the universe by just being so hardcore and so inhumane. Mm-hmm. And especially because like, yeah, like what we saw her do in the first season with, um, you know, like basically like essentially killing children was like we, we know that she can, she can. That is the kind of thing that should make any real person completely inhumane and have to lock out a side of their humanity. So like it's totally rooted in her character from the beginning. Yeah. And she's interested in those limits of humanity, right? Like the idea, the idea that in Lyra's world, you would say, well, what would happen if we cut someone away from their soul? (laughs) Right. It's like that is a person who is who is like interested in this completely taboo, like boundary of like what it means to be human. Right. Mm. Uh, I'll say in terms of my kind of overall thoughts here, uh, you mentioned it's a bridge episode, which I do agree with. It's a little, you know, parts of it were a little too much talking for me. That's a problem the show tends to have, just like characters, you know, speaking prophecies at each other and things. So it did feel compared to some of the previous episodes, a little bit of like, "Eh, we're setting up, we're getting ready for a big finale here. But I was really glad that we got kind of in the last half, we got some of those bigger climaxes. Like I think the highlights of this episode for me are the I like it's just a talking scene, but I really like the the Eve pseudo name drop because it's mm. like got a lot of tension to it. And I like all the the Coulter Boreal stuff, including killing Boreal. And and I thought the I wish there was more of it, but I liked the the chase scene with the with Lee and Grumman at the end. I, I loved the um between the, the two Magisterium people, the like fact that he has a message and like doesn't want to be labeled a heretic for saying it <laughs> right. just, like, which is the theme right like in that's that was in season one too right like uh, these characters being like well i can't say it like it's just you know even delivering some information would make me a heretic like or even like when lee faces that guy who tries to kill him at the like the observatory right just for kind of asking about grooming yeah and it's like i get the sense that this uh is uh mcphail the the guy who's now the cardinal like feels like he'd be more lenient of that but still there's like the whole institution and also he just had a guy locked up for <laughs> being insufficiently faithful so yeah. maybe fra pavel scott <laughs> a reason to be afraid uh i also love the um the visual that we've gotten the whole season of chitigatse which is this like hugely vertical city that feels like it's inspired by mont saint michel in france but um and which also reminds me of Genshin Impact, the main city in that game, is also based on Monte Michel. But anyway, um, so you have this like huge vertical city. And then like whenever they show beyond the city, and it's like, oh, these mountains are like even bigger, even taller. And mm-hmm. I kind of assumed that wouldn't actually play into the story. So the fact that they're on those mountains now is kind of a payoff I wasn't expecting. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Like you kind of just thought everything was going to be in Chittagatsi. Yeah. Or like mm-hmm. I thought that that was just like a, a visual to make us like see how grand and big this world was. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, but one, one complaint I kind of have about this episode is that we have all these things happening, like all the characters are in Shinigatsu, right? But like, it doesn't feel like they're actually all in the same place. Like they, none of them actually interact, interact with each other or overlap. Like we, especially when I'm thinking about, um, uh, Mary Malone being there and like just sitting on the beach chilling. And then later in the episode, right. uh, Mrs. Coulter and Boreal and the, um, specters, uh, attacking them. I guess we do see, um... Lee and Japari see those specters. So I guess that does interact. That that was yeah. I thought that was actually a kind of interesting like addition there. That's I don't think that's actually in the book, but mm. it I, I think that's an attempt to to fix some of what you're talking about to like make there be some kind of continuity. Like they see the specters 
kind of as Coulter is controlling them or, or around that time. And then there's a shot where like you see the balloon and it like cut, you know, it pans down and you see Boreal walking down the street or something. Mm. Right. But yeah, especially that's with, at with... least some kind of connection. But I, I agree about the Mary scenes. That's that's like a bit of an issue that it's unclear how she crosses over with any of these other characters in this world, right? Like where, where is she in comparison to them? Yeah. Like I was kind of like, where is she when the city is like being mm. attacked by specters? And I guess we got that visual of the angel wings to imply that she's being protected by them as not at, at risk. When she first stepped into the world, the last episode, I was like, Oh God, no, what's she doing here? She's in girl, danger. Girl, get out of there. <laughs> uh, Oh, but the scene in this episode where she talks to the kids was, I thought it was really great. There's a bit of it that I was like, the children were acting unnatural. And I was like, are these not so great child actors? Or is it just that children act weird? Especially, mm -hmm. they they're are- also traumatized children. Right, they're right? so traumatized that like, their actions aren't, you know, feel a little bit less parsable because they're so, uh, gone through so much trauma and like need- need a month when they're when they're like can you like boss us around and like tell us what to do i yeah. was like this this dialogue could feel stilted and kind of did a little bit but like i think the emotion is shown through and yeah i i was surprised like parts of it were a little corny like when the girl asked for a hug but yeah. it it felt pretty real like i and i actually like that actor i guess i haven't really watched that much game of thrones but a lot of people were saying like oh it's the girl from some she did something in game of thrones the like what I'm forgetting which girl that is Angelica or yeah she she played oh, well, the game on the, on the throne yeah sure yeah anyway <laughs> the the kind of main you know the leader of the the Chittagatsi yeah. kids like she's got a kind of weird affect the whole time where she's very curt and like seems you know pretty traumatized and the way that she says like that kind of like you could boss us around and make us take baths or whatever like and she's kind of like embarrassed or like doesn't know how to say it right but she just like wants an adult around. <laughs> Yeah, like some of the line delivery, like they kind of change their emotions very quickly. I forget mm -hmm. exactly which lines I'm thinking of, but like, I think they went from being like, once she seems, once uh, Mary sent, like seems to not be interested in helping them, they're like, okay, we're we're fine though, bye. And it's like, hmm, oh, okay, maybe the delivery was a little bit weird to me, but yeah, I guess I read it as them being like they want that warmth, but then they're like kind of timid about it, right? Like as soon as it seems like she can't help them, it's like okay, 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 fine, whatever. Yeah, uh, I'll just go. Yeah, <laughs> right? they cover up for like not showing a sign of weakness that they'd ask for, like pretending. Right, right, right. But yeah, I think it's it continues to solidify this idea of Mary as being like a good parent figure, right? Yeah. Uh, despite like Lee not having children, right? We, we, mm -hmm. These like two characters who are both pretty good parent figures but don't actually have kids right? <laughs> yeah i don't one scene i wasn't totally in love with was her the like divination scene this episode because mm -hmm. at least last time when she did it like in her bed or whatever it was like we saw what she was working with and how it i guess i got kind of got a sense of like how this was an analog for uh something that like dark matter could be affecting somehow maybe but this time we just yeah it's you don't kind actually of, see how the itching works which it's a real thing. It's not like a fantasy thing, mm -hmm. right? But but not everyone knows how it works. So it maybe would have been more useful to show it here. Yeah, like because this time it seemed like we saw her kind of off screen, put some sticks down, and then she just was flipping through a book for like a minute. And I was like, I like mm -hmm. books, so I enjoy her flipping through a book for a minute, but I don't understand what's happening. Yeah. I did like the way that scene was shot very on the nose where she's on the left side and then behind her is an angel oh, yeah. on like an angel statue on the tower. I just thought that was, you know, I like <laughs> this kind of these slightly subtle kind of like there's angels around Mary right now. 
there's there's a lot of like good little character bits in this episode. Uh, I love I love Lord Boreal being a complete coward this episode <laughs> when he has to face down the specters. Like he's cowering behind Coulter when they see the uh, the guy who was attacked by the specters, and then he just closes himself up in the the <laughs> building when she yeah, like, goes out to. He like closes the window, them. and I'm like, that's not gonna protect you, dude. Like, yeah they're ghosts my man it doesn't work <laughs> do you think the city would be abandoned if you could just close the window like i appreciate that it did really solidify how he is just not cut out for her right <laughs> yeah this the, the time where he said where he says that she's his equal i was kind of surprised at first when she acts like she's okay with that because mm-hmm. i was like expecting her to immediately be like you know i'm your equal uh but, right. you know she takes her time and kills him instead so well, and, and it's it's a pretty nicely written line. I actually forget. This might not be in the book at all, that that like equal line. But I like how she's like, you think me you're equal, which is obviously makes it sound like she's flattered. But she's, of course, being like, you think you're <laughs> yeah. equal to me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, especially after they like just seeing her do something that breaks the entire like mechanics of the universe again. And he has the audacity to to think mm-hmm. that like because he like i don't know sells trinkets in another world that he's like has anywhere is anywhere on our plane like yeah. i think it's i think it fits though right he's been established as being oh, a yeah. pretty arrogant guy right and it's like yeah yeah he would think that right he would be <laughs> like yeah yeah you're equal to me and he's he's also sexist right we've already seen yeah. he can be pretty sexist so he's like oh a woman who can break the laws of physics that's basically the same as me <laughs> uh, yeah no it's 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 great characterization yeah She's just like, man, you have some nice speakers. I can control <laughs> evil ghosts. <laughs> oh, man. The, yeah. The scene of like trying to impress her with the speakers. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, w- one thing I find so creepy about all their interactions this season is them referring to each other by first name, like Marissa and Carlo. Yeah. I'd be like, who are these? This is like a secret code language they're using. <laughs> like, no, they're Mrs. Coulter and Laura Boreal. Don't. <laughs> they don't have first names. <laughs> I think, it, you know, yeah, it works because it's like they're they're being sort of intimate with each other. Right. But but I think it, it really worked for me because that intimacy was so off putting to me. Mm. Yeah, because they're they're kind of off putting, <laughs> like just seeing them in general. <laughs> uh, I think you mentioned in the notes that you you didn't totally buy or there was something up with or what was it? It was like it's underwhelming her killing him. Oh, yeah. Just that like in the scheme of like we've been following him for two seasons and now he kind of like meets his unceremonious end and uh it just it feels a little underwhelming in terms of we've been following for so long but also like mrs coulter just has so much more charisma that it's like yeah she took his spotlight sure right I, I think she does she says I, I i sort of agree but yeah i think that she says something that that makes it make sense where she's like your ambitions would always have ended here right like even mm-hmm. without me you would have like the way i read that is like you would have you you would not have like stepped into this city because you would have been so terrified of the specters right you couldn't have gone past this point anyway mm. and i think that's like yeah that's basically it like it's like that the world the the scope of this story has expanded beyond boreal's reach he he would not have the courage to go beyond this mm-hmm. i i do still kind of wonder like if there was a grander plan he was planning for getting the knife or if he just wanted to have this powerful knife i yeah i think the the read on it that i would have is yeah he just like like we saw in his house he just wants (laughs) trinkets he wants he wants to collect stuff he wants to to have it all but he doesn't he doesn't want power in the way that she does right Mm -hmm. 
like he doesn't want control over the world. He just he wants to be comfortable and to sort of feel like it's all within his grasp, which means that ultimately, like when you get to the scale of, you know, interdimensional war, he's useless. Right. <laughs> he, he would not be willing to, to do what needs to be done. Mm. I have a question that feels like a plot okay. hole to me, but maybe you have a good answer for it. Why, when um, when Lyra walked through the the gate in in the north at the end of season one, ended up mm-hmm. in Shidagatse? Why does she end up in Shidagatse? Whereas when Lee and Japari in the balloon go through, and I assume the witches as well, they end up not at the city and far away from the city. Oh. Well, this is this is established in the show, but I could understand how you would you could miss it. It's also, I think, in the book, it feels like a bit of a plot hole for the same reason. But there's also like and a little bit of detail to explain it. It's just that Lyra doesn't actually end up in Shitagatsi. That's why you can't see the window from Shitagatsi. She oh. had to walk for days to oh. get there. So she's yeah. wandered through the the mm-hmm. forest area. Oh, okay. I think there's a line that's where she says that she was like walking for days or something. Huh. And there's also you see her walking at the beginning of season two. Like you see her walking through the the woods and the hills and whatever and then she like comes upon Shidagatsi she sees Uh it from far away so it's sort of established that like she didn't actually like walk out directly into Chittagatsi. Oh, okay. But also there's like, you know, people have complained for years about the fact that in the book, like why is the window in the north in Lyra's world, but then like the window in Chittagatsi takes you to Oxford in mm-hmm. Will's world. And I think that's just because they're two different kinds of windows. <laughs> and Azriel's is like a kind of, you know, he blew up a hole in the sky and it sort of screwed up the mapping of like, it's almost a window between dimensions but also between like places you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah i could see like that the knife causing a different kind of rift then mm-hmm. whatever i mean that's did. like not really i don't think that's really explained but that's kind of the the way that you can assume it works that, that's mm-hmm. why it doesn't open like in a one-to-one that's why you don't go to the north of the chitagatsi world right mm-hmm. well this raises a complaint that i kind of have about lyra's world in general now that like as they're talking about the north and since it's like feels like such a I don't want to say generic, but like a, a kind of fantasy world that we're familiar with, where like usually in those kind of worlds, there is like the continent or like a continent. They're like all they were, the whole season we're talking about going to the north. I assumed they were like that it was kind of like a not to mention Game of Thrones constantly, but like there was kind of like a Westeros world where there was like a single main continent that was England or Great Britain. Right. And that like that was the entire state of the world. And I knew that like uh, Lee was supposed to be from Texas. So I knew there had to be more mm-hmm. to the world. But it feels a little bit weird to like have like it feels like that entire concept of Lyra's world is confined to uh, Great Britain, which confuses me considering we know that it's like a bigger world. And obviously, uh, Will's world is bigger than that because it's our world. But Well, yeah, I mean, I think the based on the show canon, it's basically that the magisterium is centered in Britain, mm. right? Which is not actually accurate to the book, but that is the way they have presented it in the show for simplicity's sake, I guess. Uh I, I guess, yeah, like a lot of the seats of power that we see are pretty much all centered in in Britain. But I mean, unlike Game of Thrones, Lyra's world, maybe I'm revealing something that we that they would show in, in some world building in a future episode. But I feel like they would have shown it by now if they were going to do it. Like Lyra's world is our world geographically in basically mm-hmm. every way. Right. I kind uh, of assume that from Oxford. The society is different, right? The names of the countries and, and which which countries were formed. And it's... There's like various things that that are like just alternate histories of our world. But yeah, there is the continent of North America and Europe. And like when they go to the north, they're basically going to like parts of Scandinavia and stuff like that. Right. Oh, or okay. like Iceland or yeah, Greenland. I, I forget where 
Svalbard's a real place in our world, right? But in their world, it's ruled by bears. Have you been there? You don't know for sure that they don't have. Well, yeah, maybe it is ruled by bears (laughs) in our world for all I know. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I forget where exactly like other fans would know, but, but like when they go to Trollison, that's supposed to be like in a, that's on a real land mass in, in our world, right? It, It all like maps somewhere. Okay. So like when they're talking about the North, it wasn't just like the Northern end of the Island of Great Britain. Oh, no, 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 oh, no okay, way. Okay. They were going up to like northern Europe, like near the North Pole. Okay, okay. That, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. No, it does, I don't think it gets that cold in northern Great Britain. Yeah, I guess I, I, guess I don't know much about... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know much about northern Great Britain, so... That's also why like Yorick has a kind of Scandinavian accent and stuff, mm, right? Mm. And the names up there, you know, the witches too have a kind of like... Oh, yeah. You know, like Seraphina Pecola, and... they're all kind of... Yeah, Ruta Scotty, yeah. The problem is they all speak with British accents, except for York, which sort of throws it all off. We should uh, do my demon corner, and then I want to ask you about some uh, some predictions for next episode and and for season three. Uh, what good demon content did we get this episode? The monkey loved all the stuff with the monkey being like put in that trance while Coulter uh, faced down the specters. I love how I guess before the trance, like how terrified he was by the specters while she was not. Yeah, right. Because he's like he's ready to fight them. And she's like, quiet down. Yeah, I'll handle this. <laughs> I liked there's a bit we haven't really talked about the witches, but uh, we get a lot more witch content. And I like that there's a bit where Paisa, Serafina's demon, does the, the same kind of thing that we saw McPhail's demon do where he's he's like tell him like when she's talking to will and she's like avoiding mentioning the prophecy to will and then he tells will Mm -hmm. and like it feels like we you know like we don't get that much kaiza in the book but they've kind of established kaiza as being a bit more to the point (laughs) than seraphina right like he he will just sort of come out and say stuff whereas she is is a little more careful have we seen demons like snakes or spiders or like things like that that we don't traditionally think of speaking have we seen demons like that speak i don't think so oh we've seen lizards right we've seen Mm. father mcphail's demons a lizard but i don't think we've seen boreal's demon or um or dr lancelius's demon speak and those are both snakes Mm. a snake wouldn't be too surprising to see speak a spider i don't don't know how you would do a spider yeah spider seems like like how do you not make that comical and Mm -hmm. cartoonish yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we haven't seen... There's insect demons. There's other like insect demons, but I don't think we've seen them speak in the show. Uh, yeah, but I, I liked that Kaiza bit. I am. I continue to be disappointed in the integration of Sion Kotor, which I'm probably saying wrong, which is Grumman's demon, who he mentions this episode, how you know, like his world doesn't have demons, but now he has a demon. We don't know exactly how that happens at this point. Yeah, that, that's something that like feels like it... As a viewer, I'm very intrigued by, and they're like, like slowly doling out information about it. And like, mm-hmm. I could have almost missed that she was there, which is not great. Well, yeah, because she's barely in it and she doesn't speak. And it's very conspicuous because she's cast as uh, Phoebe Waller Bridge. And it's like, seemed like it was like, oh, we're going to get to see. And I don't, I haven't seen the show, but you know, all my Fleabag fan friends were very excited that, you know, you get to see Hot Priest and Phoebe Waller Bridge playing opposite each other. But they don't. She's spoken, I think, two lines in the whole show. And she wasn't even in this episode, like the actual actor. Yeah, like I've heard much more about her presence in the show than actual lines that she's spoken. So, and she doesn't speak that much in the book, but like I figure if you're going to cast her, give her some extra lines, <laughs> give her something to say. <laughs> so that's that part is disappointing. I do want to, because I mentioned the witches and we forgot to kind of talk about that part of the story with Lyra and Will and the witches. 
I think the witches they're feeling a lot better to me. They still are a little a little goofy and over dramatic, but it is it helps so much to give Serafina someone else to talk to because mm-hmm. all of the witch on witch scenes before were re- just exposition dumps. They they talk like they're just reading directly off of the script. <laughs> And now she's got Lyra to talk to, and Lyra is like spunky and has energy and is kind of pestering her with questions and whatever, right? And like that, there's so much more warmth to it now that she can talk to Lyra. Yeah, yeah. Like they, I guess they had disagreements when there was just witches on witches, but like mm-hmm. it felt kind of like they were a chorus almost. And now we actually see like conflict, or like, I don't know, we see like them having to actually express their motivations and stuff in a way that yep. they felt just like no, impossible before. Yeah, they're not just like making vague plans or whatever. Now it's like Lyra is like, you know, we I, we don't want to go back to our world. And Serafina is like, well, this is why we have to like, yeah, there's a bit of conflict and there's bonding going on. Right. Like like them kind of getting to know each other. Uh, I'm just very happy with that because the witches, I felt like, have been one of the main parts of this story that has gotten really disserved by this adaptation. And I was hoping that bringing them to the Chittagatze world would would do this, would give them some more opportunities for characterization. Yeah, I mean, the way they're animated, though, is pretty cool. Oh, when they do their flying and stuff? Yeah. Like, yeah. even if they had very little, like, parsable character motivation before, like, they still looked cool enough that I was intrigued to find out more. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Good presentation. And we did have them get attacked by the specters uh, at the end of the episode. So now there's a little more danger going on there. Yeah. Uh, I find it a little bit weird. Lyra's relationship with Serafina Pecola is a little mm-hmm. bit... Because I kind of forget from season one how much she did or did not know about her. and Not much. Yeah, but she seems like immediately sold on her and is like immediately trusting of her in a way that I found a little bit odd. She, I think she met Serafina briefly in season one when when she saved them at Bolvangar, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah. Which, yeah, I guess that's enough to make you trust someone if you save someone from that experience. Oh, the, the, the other thing, though, is that she knows of Serafina, right? Mm-hmm. Because because Farter Coram told her right. that he was once Serafina's lover and they had a child and they had that very, like, touching moment together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it does make sense that Lyra goes like, oh, I'm meeting Serafina Pecola again. Like, that, that Farter, and I love Farter Coram, so I must love Serafina. <laughs> But yeah, I, I do know what you mean. I, I think the book has a little bit of this too, but there's it's one of those subtle changes where I think there's a little less of Lyra interacting with Serafina and Kaisa in the show than there is in the book. And that little bit makes a difference to make mm. it feel a little more plausible in the book. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's wrap up here with some predictions. I mostly know what's going to happen. I have predictions <laughs> about how they're going to adapt things, but where do you think this is going in the last episode of season two? The only thing I know for sure is that her name is Eve. Um, I'm worried about how they're going to reveal that. I'm worried that it's going to be like this big dramatic moment, even though it's obvious to the viewer. Um, but yeah, what, what's your what's your take on on that? Like like just that reveal? Like that seems like right now there's not a ton of information to know what that means that Lyra is Eve. I think it's it's a really cool payoff of that moment in season one where um, Mrs. Coulter asked what her like who mm-hmm, she was, mm-hmm. and I was kind of like. That's a weird way of phrasing it, but like, it's an interesting answer that makes a lot of sense for that question. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, how could, how could any answer like be a satisfying answer to that question? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that oh. scene in season one is great where she's like, who is Lyra Balakwa? And Fra Pavlo's like, surely you of all people should <laughs> ask the question. Right? And you're like, oh man, what, <laughs> what is going on? Um, and, it, and it is an interesting, like, obviously this show is like seeped in, in religious imagery. So the idea that like, 
the reason she is so important to the world is because she is for some reason a new Eve. Like, I don't, I don't know what that means. Aside from like, she's going to be tempted with some choice that if, if dust and dark matter is sin, that it's going to be something she does to like unleash dust upon the world or like to free mm-hmm. the angels or something of that nature. And I guess they've uh, kind of set up that Mary Malone is taking on the role of a snake. So I'm assuming mm-hmm. it's some kind of offer from her. Uh, and yeah, I don't really understand where the, in a good way, like I'm like, where could right. this like angel conflict be going? Like they are physical entities that the witches can see and can see them flying. And uh, that to me feels like one of the big, like at the end of season one, I was like, okay, the big thing the show is going to explore is this, like the concept of these different universes and seeing Lyra interact with will and like seeing lyra in will's world and stuff and i feel like the thing that to me feels like the big thing going into season three is like more insight into what the angels are and what they can do what um what their plan for vengeance is but i don't have like a clear like it doesn't i don't see the pieces yet for where it all fits together one thing i think is really interesting i mean obviously the seasons aren't directly paralleling the books but like mm-hmm. at the end of season one, I would have had no idea what a subtle knife was. And going in at the end of season two, almost, I have no idea what an amber spyglass is. So <laughs> Right, right, right. <laughs> I, I am open to like the entire concept of what the, the multiverse was at the end of season one. I would have had no idea. So I'm like hoping that there is similarly like scope increasing and like oh, man. grander scale things hold coming. On, hold on three. to your butts. Yeah, <laughs> there is a huge... I would say an even larger scope increase in some ways. I mean, the, 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 yeah, probably compared to in the seasons, I would anticipate season three will have an even larger scope, like increase in scope. Uh, the books are a little different because the first book doesn't even have will in it. And so it's a pretty big twist to introduce the multiple worlds and like our world, right? Mm-hmm. At the beginning of the book. But yeah, in, in this case, because we, they already introduced will in season one. So the season two, like, you know, increased the scope, but I think kind of only moderately, right? It increased like there's angels, there's there's another world, there's the subtle knife. Uh, if season three hues closely to the book, there's oh, there's so much stuff. They better include all of it because there's like a lot of great, really interesting. Like, you know, if you like all these kind of conceptual new ideas that the, the second season is throwing at you, season three has got all sorts of new ideas like that. Mm. Very excited. <laughs> One thing I'm a little worried about is because they filmed season one and two together, right? So that mm-hmm. Lyra and Will wouldn't age. And now, so it's going to be season three is going to be filmed one year, two years later. Yeah. So I'm, the, I'm worried about that. I hope they can do some makeup work and costuming work to kind of hide it. But you know, I mean, mm. Amir Wilson looks a little old already. So yeah, I think it'll be like Harry Potter. People will just have to accept. Yeah, they look like adults, but they're actually <laughs> kids. <laughs> At least Harry Potter, like those movies are coming out once a year, right? Uh, I think it was a little less frequently than that. Oh, like okay. they definitely looked too old by the end. Yeah. They looked like they were like 25 or something. I still hope there isn't like a huge discontinuity and now it's like they grew two feet. I know. That's the worry. <laughs> yeah. We'll we'll see. I, I hope they, they get that right. Anyway, uh, very happy to hear your predictions that I cannot really comment too much <laughs> on without spoiling. Uh, definitely interesting. And and I think, you know, you've got your... It, it feels like the show is leading you in like... A direction that that makes sense you know it's not going to be totally i don't know it's 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 giving you the feeling that the book would give you at this point you know what i mean mm-hmm. that's that's good to hear yeah all right that's it for us uh thanks for coming on the show jeff yeah thanks for having me you can check out more episodes 
on shadowparticles.club, the URL for the podcast. Send me an email at shadowparticlespodcast at gmail.com. You can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, leave some ratings and reviews to help more people find the show. And you can find me on Twitter at vamptvo, V-A-M-P-T-V-O. And Jeff is definitely Jeff on Twitter. And you've got a podcast of your own. Yeah, I have a podcast talking about new anime called Love It or Weeb It, which is a terrible but it's good. Also not so terrible name. And also a podcast entirely about the new season of Digimon that is airing, if that is your thing, which it is an increasingly low number of people because the show is a mixed bag. But uh yeah, and I also like Evan, tweet about random anime and stuff. So, And I was on Love It or Weeb It on the uh, Keep Your Hands Off Azokan episode if you're interested in more Evan and Jeff content. Yeah, that was, that was a really fun episode. Should have you on again soon. Yeah, I'm down. All right. Thanks for listening. I'll see you all in about a week with the recap for episode seven, the finale of season two. Looking forward to that. Bye.